Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Bruno Costa, Head of Scout- head of Scouting and Recruitment at San Jose Earthquakes. Bruno, a big welcome to the show. Well, pleasure meeting Connor. Thanks for the invitation. It's always always a pleasure, you know, to participate in you know this kind of podcast and talk a little bit about my journey, a little bit of the work you've been doing for the for the last 20 plus years. So it's always always a pleasure. There's obviously a lot to get through, but no better place to start than could you please tell the audience listening, Bruno, your earliest football memory? Yeah, just a little bit about myself. Um, I was born in Brazil in a small state up north called Rondônia State, uh, close to the Amazon area, close to Manaus. So it's not that you were born in Rio or Sao Paulo where you have like things easier. So I had to... I was born with the passion for the game. You know, football in Brazil is a religion. My dad, my grandpa, and everyone was involved in the game. But since a younger age, I had the dream and desire to grow, improve myself, and also to learn a new language. That's why when I was 15 years old in 1995, there was an opportunity for me to come for the U.S. for the first time. You know, when I, I didn't speak in English, I came to the U.S. to stay for six months. And six months became five years, right? For the first, that was my first uh, first period here. I play, you know, club soccer at the youth level in America. Back then, I saw the beginning of MLS in 1996. Um, then I got a scholarship to play college soccer for University of Miami called Florida International University. Uh, but I always, you know, uh, my family was back in Brazil. I tried to play professionally. Things didn't work out too, too much on my way. But I was always very, very focused on, you know, on the learning process. And I knew how important it was. So at a very younger age, 21 years old, I went back to Brazil. Um, and that's how important it was for me, Connor, to know how to speak English and also to be able to speak Spanish also. In Brazil, as you might know, we speak Portuguese, but we are the only country in South America that speaks Portuguese, right? So um, when you learn how to speak Spanish, makes you communicate and also be involved in networking with Argentina, Colombia, Uruguay, you know, Peru, Ecuador, you know, Bolivia, Paraguay, Chile, whatever, all those, all those countries in South America. And applying for an internship in the Brazilian Federation the thing that stood out for them was myself being able to speak English and Spanish, right? Even though at a younger age. So I applied for this internship. I was hired to work uh, for the, it's kind of funny because I was also finishing up my degree in sports management. And I I received a phone call and they said, Bruno, you're going to be working with Branco. You know, Branco is the former left back for the Brazil national team. Branco, um, Brazil won the 1994 World Cup. Branco was the left back. They scored that amazing goal against Holland in the quarterfinal. Branco played three World Cups for Brazil. So he's been one of the best left backs in Brazilian history. And he was responsible for the Brazilian Brazilian, uh, master team. Like guys who, you know, the guys who are already retired, they play showcase games. I don't tell this too much, but uh, that was the beginning of everything for me. It was just crazy because uh, Branco called me one day and said, Bruno, you know, this is here's a list of players you're going to be contacting. That was my first week in working as an intern, right? Contacted those players and set up, like as a manager of operations, set up the whole travel, organize everything. We're going to do a showcase you know, again, you know, Paranai State, right? I guess Albert, Albert was back then playing for Bayern Munich. So we're going to do a showcase. When Branco gave me the list of players and I saw it, Tafarel, Jorginho, Branco, Ricardo Rocha, Dunga, Mazinho, Bebeto, all those guys who were part of the Brazil, you know, pretty much the 94 World Cup team. That was in 2001 for 2002. I was 21 to 22 years old. Those guys were my idols, right? So... I was throwing on the fire, and but that was that's how everything stopped for me on the management side. And Branco became my mentor. You know, I already had, of course, my dad, but Branco became my mentor. Then, of course, I created a relationship with with Dunga, Jorginho, Bebeto, all those guys, and that's how everything stopped for me. You know, being able to learn from those guys at such a younger age, 
And one year later, Bronco became the sporting director for the Brazil Youth National Team. And Bronco brought me to be his, you know, um, responsible for all the operations, you know, uh, football operations for the Brazil Youth National Teams. And it was such an amazing experience for me because I had to deal with clubs, deal with scouting, deal with the management side, and participate in the, you know, common ball qualification, U17, U20, participate. You know, in 2002, I was in the Federation when Brazil won the World Cup in, in, in South Korea and Japan. Um, and with the youth national teams, we were the first nation ever to win both World Cup in the same year. That was in 2003. As manager of football operations, we won the 2003 U17 World Cup. We beat uh, Spain in the final 1-0. The final was playing Finland. The, I mean, the whole competition was playing Finland. And we also beat Spain in the U20 final in, in, in Emirates. So things were very quick for me, very fast. And I was, I had to adapt myself, but once again, being able to speak English, being able to speak Spanish, and of course, be able to leave home so early, gave me this insight and this awareness to navigate it in such a younger age on those different, different environments. So it was five years in the Brazil, five to six years in the Federation, you know, winning pretty much everything. Um, and when Branco moved to Fluminense as a, as a sporting director in 2007, uh, I was only 26 years old and Branco said, Bruno, you're going to be my, you know, you're going to be the technical director of the club with me. And you're going to also be the academy director. You know, one of the top academies in the world, one of the top academies in Brazil. You know, in the daily basis, the daily work for a, for a club, it's completely different from the national team, right, Connor? So I had to reinvent myself, adapt myself to a really new routine where I had a 90 plus employers and 350 players only the academy side. And also working with Bronco to build up the first team roster, right? Because Bronco was, I was Bronco uh, right hand, you know, helping him on everything, overlooking the academy side. And it was like those four years were unbelievable uh, for myself professionally and also for my experience. Because Fluminense, we won the Brazilian Cup for the first time in Fluminense history, 2007. We reached the Copa Libertadores final for the first time ever in club history in 2008. We lost the final to LDU from, from Liga Deportiva de Quito. And I'm happy now that Fluminense is on the semifinal now for the Libertadores after you know, uh, 15, 15 years. It's amazing to see the club. We reached the Copa Sul-Americana final 2009, and we won the Brazilian League after 27 years in 2010. And also our academy, we produced more than 50 players that played for the first team. We sold almost $100 million in players. So it was like an amazing, amazing experience in Fluminense those between 2007 and 2010. You know, 2011, I moved to Figueirense, you know, who was... Club had just got promoted. Was a new experience for me. You know, the, the management side of the club was new. Uh, and I, I wanted this experience South Brazil, different culture. Was very good, amazing. We had the best run ever in club history in Serie A in Brazil. Was the best ever in club history. We, we finished top six, top seven in Brazilian league. We almost qualified to Libertadores. Uh, 2012, I received the invitation to go back to the Brazil national team. That's why all those experiences that I had, I had was so important. Brazil didn't have a full-time chief scout for the youth national team. So they want to change the model a little bit. So they hired me as a full-time chief scout for the Brazil youth national team. And of course, I also used to do scouting and game analysis for the full national team. So it was amazing. In 2012, we put it together the four years project looking for the 2016 Olympic, Olympic Games. That was going to be playing in Rio de Janeiro. That was playing in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. That was the only title that the Brazilian Federation didn't have, the Olympic title. And it was unbelievable. We put a, you know, we put a very, a very strong networking and also a very strong business plan for the 93, 94, 95, 96, and 97 generation. That's where, you know, we had players, even Neymar, who was a 92, you know, could have three players over age to play the Olympic Games. But Gabriel Barbosa, Gabriel Jesus, you know, and many other players were part of this project. Um, and in 2015, we lost the final to Serbia in the U20 World Cup. But all those, all those work, I didn't 
was unbelievable because I didn't I didn't participate in the Olympic Games because in the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, I received the offer to come back to America. There was a dream, there was a there was a business plan and also a lifetime, a lifetime uh, uh, thing that I had with myself to come back to America and be able to give back everything that I that I had learned in Brazil for the 15 years I had working in Brazil. And also I was able to see the growing of the league, growing of MLS. So six months before the Olympic Games, I went to Fort Lauderdale. Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, was one of the owners of, of a club in the second division. And the head coach was Caio Zanardi, who was, I had the pleasure to work in the Brazil national team. And so Caio was the head coach. And he said, Bruno, I need someone to be, you know, the sporting director, technical director, to help me out, to put a team together. Ronaldo spoke to me. And I want to make the jump, you know, get an opportunity to get in MLS. So I saw as a as a good opportunity. So I I left the federation. People call me crazy. Uh, as I said before, I didn't participate in, on on the competition, but I was for four years. I helped it out to put it together, and Brazil won. You know, the Olympic Games 2016 was really really unbelievable to be able to see, uh, you know, the successful success of this project. And also being able to get in, you know, get in, in American work for the Fort Lauderdale in 2016 for one year. And then in 2017, I received the, you know, received the call from from uh, Jesse Fioranelli, who was a sporting director for uh, for the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, he said, Bruno, I, I didn't know Jesse back then. My name came to him. He said he was putting, you know, a scouting, actual, a scouting, I scouting a department in place, and my name came to him. We, we went through. I went through interview process. I was hired by the club, you know, um, on a two years contract, you know, and two years already became seven years. So it's been unbelievable the journey so far. You know, sorry for kind of putting so many information together, but it's important to understand where I start, how I start, and how things. You know, how was my turnaround to come back to America? But that's that's uh. A little bit of my history, you know, and now of course we can we can go on and, and also tell a little bit of all the work we have been doing here for the last seven years. Absolutely fascinating. It's almost movie like, but I would have to say, listening to you speak, the one common thread going through all of those moves seems to be Branco. And obviously he was a fundamental piece of the journey in terms of provide uh, providing you with that mentorship. I mean, obviously, you joined the CBF, the Brazil Federation, as an intern, but quickly you were to rise through the ranks and succeed in terms of the managerial positions, and you became a TD at the age of 26. What did Branco see in you that suggested any leadership qualities at the time, Bruno? That's uh, that's an amazing question, because, um, and I had a, I have always been a very determined person, like very, very open-minded you know, and I think being able to, and I, and my parents, and I'm very thankful they're here now visiting me. You know, my dad's already 77 years old. My my mom, my mom is 68. And it's not easy for parents to let your, your kid just go at such a younger age. And, but they knew like there was my willingness, there was my dream. And I was, I, I always told them I want to play the game. But if things didn't work out on the playing side, I told dad, I want to go to the management side. Like my grandpa, my grandpa was someone who at 11 years old, he founded a football club with uh, 11, 11 friends in 1943. You know, um, it's, and my dad later on became the president of this club. But my dad was not the son of my, my grandpa. He was, the, my grandpa was the, he was the dad of my mom, right? And my, my dad, later on became the president of this club. Like my dad also was a lot on the management side. So I was born with this leadership side and also this willingness to grow, to improve. But I was from a very small state, like one of the smallest states in Brazil. And I think when Branco met me, he saw a younger person with good character because that's something for me very important. I had values that my parents taught me, you know, values who I have carried my whole life. And for me, that's the most important thing. And he saw, look, I have someone who 
is a, a hard worker, someone who is willing to learn, someone who is passionate for what he does. You know, and my first salary, uh, Connor, in the Federation was $100 per month, you know? And a lot of people ask me those things. I never I never focus on the financial side, right? My, my passion for the game was so big that everything for me was about learning, 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 learning. And being able, of course, I have this foundation at home with my parents, my, my mom, my dad, and of course, my grandpa. But Branco was the one that, that brought me the locker room learning. You know, he was like, look, I have all this experience and I'm going to give you, Bruno, are you willing to learn or not? And I was very willing to learn. And that's that's what happened. And he became a mentor for me. He was very important. And nowadays, Branco is, went back to the Federation. He is the sporting director for for all the Brazil national teams, U23 and below, you know, and uh, we talk, we talk on a daily basis. He's like, we still talking. We became like such a good friend, and learning this for Branco and see how he received myself, you know. That's why Connor, I do this podcast. This is why I'm an instructor for the Brazilian Federation. This is why I mentor so many people. This is why I like to to pass all this learned experience to as much people as I as I can. Because what everyone needs is just a little, it's not even a little help, but a little word or a phrase or a direction that can change your life. And this is why I'm so active on LinkedIn with information. This is why I try to teach and guide as many people as I can. And we also learn from all those people, right, from the younger generation. And this is why... This is what I'm passionate about. Experience, change of experience, change of learning, and be able to help other people. It's incredible because that sense of hunger and determination, I feel from the 15-year-old Bruno that left home in the northeast of Brazil to go to America hasn't subsided. And you still have that and you know, education and learning as a result becomes an infinite game. So look, I mean, reflecting back upon your time with the CBF, I mean. Your time there coincided with so much success, ranging from the 2016 Olympics to various world titles at the youth level. What I'm most intrigued to learn about, though, was intermittently you took that job as academy director at 26 years of age, I believe, with Fluminense, a historical team for anyone that doesn't know, based in Rio de Janeiro. On a separate podcast before that, I heard over the course of four years, you had made $80 million in sales. It's an incredible statistic. And that's uh that's 16 years ago, right? Where like the yeah. money was not there yet. But uh and then the, another thing, corner, like we didn't uh we didn't have such an unbelievable infrastructure, right? That's where I also learned how human human work is so important, right? When I came to the club, the Brazilian clubs are very political, corner. Like every two, three years there is a new president. And even if you win everything, you can be fired or can be let it go, right? Things are changed a little bit more now, but before, it's still very political. So when I took over the job, I had a list of people that I should fire. I'll never forget it, right? And I told Branco, I said, Branco, uh, I'm not going to do it, right? Let me learn about these people first. Let me understand how they are. Let me interact with those people. I'm going to do different from other people are doing, right? And Connor, what happened? The two people who were supposed to get fired, one became in my right hand, the other one became my left hand. I became the best man of, uh, of, uh, of Antonio, who is, you know, who, is, uh, who became one of, my, you know, one, of, one, of, one of my best friends, you know? And that was such a learning. And everything, everywhere I go and I talk, I have this as an example. But life just, for my character and for how I am as a person, I couldn't go to bed and sleepy, letting people go that I didn't know, right? And I had the, and I had the freedom to do it, you know, even though at such a younger age. But I said, I'm not going to do it. And I think this action that I had it, I brought everyone together. And that's also show a lot of myself as a leader, a lot of myself and how I am. And another thing I learned is a leader is someone who let other people do the work, right? And I'm not, you cannot be good in 10 different things. I know what I'm good at. I'm going to try to improve things that I'm good at. And I'm going to let other people help me to succeed 
we don't do anything alone. It's a teamwork. And also this relation that we have in the locker room. Like in 2007, my last work in the Federation before I moved to Fluminense was as a, as a general manager because when Branco moved to Fluminense, he had to left the Federation. And we had the U20 qualifications, the Olympic qualification for the 2008 Olympic Games three weeks away. And when Branco spoke to the president of the Federation, he said, look, I'm going to go to Fluminense. That was in December 2006 because Branco needed to put the team together for 2007 season. But Bruno's going to stay. I was 26 years old also and responsible to qualify Brazil for the Olympic Games 2008 and also qualify the U20 World Cup because Branco left everything, everything, everything became on my shoulder. And back then, Connor, we didn't have like Twitter, we didn't have media, we didn't have all those. We had like internet. But nowadays, you have like 25, 30 people traveling with the full national team. 35 people. You have like so many people helping. Back then, was like eight people, and I coach, assistant coach, training condition, and like, and I became responsible for the biggest football nation in the world. The Brazilian press put in so much pressure to qualify to the Olympic Games because Brazil didn't qualify in 2004. There's only two spots out of 10. And there was not a FIFA window. FIFA window. So players such Marcelo, who was in Real Madrid already, Renato Augusto by Leverkusen, David Luiz was in Benfica, Anderson was in Porto, Lucas Leiva, Lucas Leiva was in Grêmio before he went to Liverpool. So like nine, nine or ten players could not go. And I told, look at the responsibility, right? I told the president of the federation, look, it's going to be hard for us. We don't have all those guys. And then we went in January for the qualification. Argentina, Di Maria, Agüero, Uruguay, Cavani, Suarez. That's where all the leadership started coming to me. Pato had just won the uh, uh, club uh, club. World Club Championship for Internacional at 17 years old. And Lucas Leiva had just become, um, you know, uh, one of the best players for the Brazilian League playing for Grêmio. Besides that, we had like a core of players who were like trying to find their way up. And I had to bring with my coaching staff all those players together, make them think about the importance. I was like a press guy. I was the guy that linked with the with the press, with the Brazil, with the Brazilian press, with the technical committee of coming ball, everything at such a younger age, right? At the first stage of the tournament, okay, we qualify to the last stage. Six clubs, six national teams, we flew to Asuncion. Out of those six, Brazil, Colombia, Paraguay, Uruguay, Argentina, and Chile. Chile with Vidal, Suarez. With Vidal and uh, and Alex Sanchez, right? What happened is we tied the first two games. We had two points, and we had three games left. The Brazilian press corner, they were killing me. They were killing everyone. They said, and this is why I tell about having character, about being a leader. The Brazilian press was like, how come such a younger Person be responsible for the Brazilian youth for the Brazilian national team. Uh, pa, 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 pa. And we had a game against Uruguay, the third game of the last stage. Uruguay had six points, two wins on the last stage, and we had two ties. So if you tie or lose to Uruguay, we'll be out, right? And again, before there was a big, big fight at the end of the game because the referee gave two PKs for Chile. We tie, we, we tie Chile, Chile, Chile. Fernando, who now play, nowadays play for Sevilla. I saw Fernando like a month ago because Sevilla came to play here in the Bay Area. Fernando was playing for a small club called Villanova. And he kind of hit the referee. So we had six players suspended after this game. Out of 20 players, we had 14 players available for the game against Uruguay. We got six red cards. Six. Next day, I was in Common Ball headquarters with Eduardo De Luca, who was the general secretary, 70 plus years old, and Nicolas Leoz, who was the older former president. Myself, representing the Brazilian Federation with those guys who were like being there forever. So life put me so much pressure on my shoulders in such a younger age, and I had to 
learn how to adapt to those situations that those things just start folding myself and, and my character who I became today, right? And be able to face. So I brought all the, all the players together, Lucas, you know, and Pato. I never forget the conversation I had. And, 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 and Lucas Leiva, we became so, uh, so close after this. I said, Lucas, you're the captain technical leader of these teams, you know? So what happened is after the games in training, the, the press, they want to talk to Pato and they want to talk to Lucas because they're like the two top players of the team. It was not like today, Connor, where there is so many, uh, you know, oh, you cannot do that, you cannot do that. So I came to them, look, guys, I need you guys to speak to the Brazilian press. Then I go to the Brazilian press and I speak to them, to the Brazilian press and bring them to talk. So I start to manage and navigate in so many different areas that I had to adapt myself, right? And nowadays you don't see this happen anymore, right? There is a press guy, there is a technical director, there is a manager of operations. So... And, and the players, they have the agents, they have their own people and everything. Back then, was more on a human-human side, right? Human relation and face-to-face. -to, -face. to make a long story short, we won the last three games. We, quali we won. We qualified and defeated. Okay? We qualified to the Olympic Games. We won the U20 uh, qualification, the, the, the pre-Olympic qualification. Went on back to Brazil, you know, all those pressure, everybody starts saying, you know, you know how things are. Everybody start like, well, Bruno, Bruno hold all those things on his alone. He was able to, not alone, I had my staff, I had my players, I had everyone. And that's when I felt how important it is to have a good group of people, people with character, people who are going to fight and die for you, right? And, and, and I learned that before in the national, in the national team at a younger age. But of course, this last stage was, was very important for me to, to, to as I said before, to shape, shape it up my leadership roles and also to shape it up my character. So I wanna I wanna show this history because uh, everybody's gonna have one one time in their life when it's gonna be a different maker, you know, either for the good or for the bad, you know. And so and and also. You know, the other time was when we lost the Libertadores Cup final with 100,000 people in the stadium in Maracanã. You know, and I saw myself crying. We lost some PKs and 95, 90 plus thousand people crying, you know, and leaving the stadium. Like, if it was, you know, that was like very hard for me, very strong. But I will also learn from those from those hard moments. And, and in life and in soccer and football in general, to be a good leader, you got to be able to navigate it on the lows and on the heights and that's that's what life has taught me in the last in the last years absolutely amazing and it seems as though like it was such a profound time in your own experience in life in terms of doing that role itself you know it was like you were strapped to a hundred pound weight and you were lifting a hundred pound weight the whole time whilst working i mean all these years later is it still an experience that you would reflect back on and draw inspiration from in your current day today? A lot. And I get emotional. Every time I talk about this, I, I, I tell this like a lot, but I get emotional because um, it's not easy to live home at such a younger age. People see only the highs on your, on your life. They don't, most of the times they don't see how much you have to work and how much. And I'm passionate for what I do. Like every Every time I come, and now nowadays, being able to come to a different country, help a younger player, and now that I became a dad two years and a half ago, I tell my wife, look, I've been helping other kids, uh, you know, other kids my whole life, and now I'm going to have to give an education to help my my son, right, my own child. And, and sometimes when I'm talking to Lucas, to my son, I'm very not hard, but I'm very emotional with my son, and I, I give so much education, so much insight to him on those things, because I want to I wanna him to see also those, how life is, and, and I love this, right, Connor, be able to, and you work it also with development, and also, when you talk about development, and when you talk about scouting, when you talk about management, and people don't realize um, um Review a written talent before they become obvious to all. That's a quote that I have it on my on my classes. 
But when you, when you talk about the hidden talent, it's not the, only the 12, the 13, the 10 years old. It's the coach that you saw coaching a youth academy at 30 years old, at 27, you saw potential on the coach. It's a sporting, it's academy director that you saw developing players or helping the process at a small club and you believe in the person. It's about a, a you know, a scout who has been bringing you, like working for free for five, six years, bringing the right information and you believe in the person, you provide the person the first opportunity. It's about identifying a player 27 years old, 20 years old, that has a lot of ups and downs. You bring to your club and he he, he performs for your club. And being able to identify those values in the market, that's what a real leader is all about. You know, and those are things that I that I always try to learn, that I bring to myself, and that's a coach that I carry to myself in my whole life. That's very interesting. I mean, you were doing this at the young her tender age of 26 years of age. And I mean, you touched upon the current generation, including your own son, Lucas. But um, I mean, leading this new generation, you could say of coaches or staff that perhaps aren't as equipped or aren't as used to multitasking as much as what you had to do back in the day. I mean, how do you get through to them and connect with them? I mean, I'm fascinated to understand. Be myself. Um and, and it's crazy, Connor, because uh, when I when I do when I do the, the podcasts, when I when I do classes, and a lot of people they like to prepare themselves. It's it's important, like it's part of the organization to put things together, how I'm gonna do it, this and that. But uh, even though I prepare myself mentally, I don't like to write a script. I let my heart speak for myself and 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 I and I think that's that's the connection that I try to have with people. It's be myself, right? I cannot be a, we live and, and be living in the Bay Area where there is so much analytical work, so much numbers involved. And I tell this to my analytical team and I had to connect myself to those people. Today, they become like so close to me, but in the, in the beginning was like this, you know, cause they, and I, and I was even talking to the guys here, and I, and I had to bring everyone together because they're younger people with so much intelligence, so much insights about the analytical part of the game that when you bring your passion, when you bring your subjective knowledge, when you bring like your experience and how do we see the game and our, everybody grows together. They make myself better and I became a much better person, much better professional. And I'm sure I'm helping them also to become, to become a better, you know, better, better person and better professional. And I can feel this for our meetings, you know, for the decisions we have making on play player recruitment, for the decisions we're making also, you know, on on, on the clubs on, on on the player side. Definitely fascinating, and I mean, it's something we'll delve into a little bit, a little bit later about Silicon Valley and obviously the where the San Jose earthquakes are situated. But I think lost amongst all of this is uh, the decision to go back to the USA as TD at Fort Lauderdale Strikers and to leave the CBF at the time. However, it was uh, one Brazilian legend that in fact took you away from the Brazil Federation at the time, which is quite funny and unique. Yeah, um, but he knew we had a relation, of course, you know, from the times of the Brazil national team. And, uh, and there was the first, you know, uh, the first experience really of Ronaldo had it as owner and club. He was more of on the business side of the club and his his right-hand person was a very good friend of mine and he said, Bruno, I think it's a good opportunity and I said, look, I'm open to go and uh, was was good. It was good to come back, you know, to my to my roots because I had to live in the country in the past before I made the jump back, you know, made the jump to MLS in 2017. So, also understand the culture, understand uh, how the game was going to America, get more adapted to how things were moving on. And then it's been for me the most important choice I made it also. I always was I always made those choices. I left the Federation 2007 to go to Fluminense. Then I, I you know I, I left Figueirense on my op to go back to the Federation. Then I left the Federation on my option to go. So sometimes in life, you know, you gotta get yourself out of this the comfort zone and being able to you know, take a new challenge. 
Ultimately, that's fascinating. And Bruno, I mean, I heard you speak about before about how culture so predominantly impacts identification and development. And obviously, where you are situated today, I mean, like a club like San Jose Earthquakes, they consistently identify and bring through youth team internationals that go on to play for the US through the ranks. I mean, what is the club getting right? Uh, since we got in the club in 2017, one of one of the main goals was to uh, explore all the potential we have in California. You know, it's such a diverse state, multicultural state with players and families from all over the world. And bring those players profile inside a game model and a methodology. And we hire a, a, a director of methodology who, was Alex, who is Alex Covello from Spain. You know, what, what does the head of methodology does? It's like a teacher when you go to school, you have a book and you got to follow those books. You know, at first grade, second grade, third grade, you know, those methods to learn how to do certain things. And the same thing happens in soccer. You know, there is for certain age, there is different methods, different, you know, um, KPIs. You got to keep following, keep, keep to coach the coach so the coach can coach the players, right? And so this person is responsible to coach the coach and also coach those coaches going to be able to implement all those ideas. But there is no methodology without scouting. There is no scouting without methodology. Why? Now, based on our game audio, you're going to be able to identify the players that fits the profile, right? And if the coach, they don't have the those profiles, he's not going to be able to implement his ideas sometimes. Of course, the coach, he got to adapt to himself. So what we did first was understand the the profiles of the players we have in the Bay Area, um, bring those ideas together, you know, and the club start developing those profiles, those kinds of players. And we've been, you know, it's been an amazing journey. We know that youth development, it's, it's a work for four, five, six years. So we worked this back in 2017, 18, and things just are, you know, showing up in the last two, three years. Last year, we were, we were the club with more players scout for the youth national teams in the U.S., 13 players, 12, 13 players. The last last week, uh, U.S. under-17 national team just made a call. You know, it's the last the last call before the U-17 World Cup. We were the club with more players scout. Three guys, three players, Cruz Medina, Oscar Verhoeven, and Adrian Mendoza. So being able to bring those players and develop those players to make the jump to the first team, it's our main goal. We know that winning, it's important. I'm not going to say it's not important. It is on the youth level, men at the older age, right? But the most important thing for us is to be able to bring those players in the right pathway, teach them to be very competitive, teach them also to be able to be competitive to win games so they can have the right mentality. But uh, like on the second team now, MLS Next Pro, who is the you know who is the new development league, pretty much it's not a U23 league because the teams they have the freedom to to play you know any age. But we are very focused on the youth side. Our team is pretty much U23 teams, and the three players under 17, they start you know they play for for a second team because we feel it's important to provide those players a different experience so they can so they can. Help us win, of course, but also develop themselves to become a first-team player. Right? And that's our main goal as a club. And that's why uh, we've been successful on this part. And it's fantastic there you speak about methodology. And obviously, the club has fit and alignment and players and style. But it's not only important for that reason. It's also important for coaches and directors to keep them in the building for as long as possible to make them feel part of the player's journey. How does the club ensure that they retain coaches and directors for as long as possible? I think it's uh, um, usually usually the club has a, a pretty good pipeline. Um, the one of the assistant coaches of the first team today was he he got he has a U seventeen coach. The second team coach today he he got he has a U thirteen coach. The U seventeen coach he got he has a U thirteen coach. No, we were the club with the first uh, women coach in the MLS Next Academy. So we have we have Erin, who is a woman who's been coaching our U15 now. 
She got in the club as a U13 coach three years ago. She, she coached on the women's side. Then she made the jump. So we are a club that likes to innovate, to give opportunity to everyone. And that's pretty much by, based on the culture of the club. You know, if you come here, you're going to be able to have your to have the opportunity to climb, to climb up the stairs, you know, and of course, after that, you have the freedom if a good opportunity comes up to just keep moving and keep growing, right? Of course. Yeah, it's for me, it's invaluable nowadays to keep people in the building for as long as possible. I've had several people on this podcast, Bruno, um, that were part of the Manchester United years under Alex Ferg Sir Alex Ferguson, and they spoke about how even the infrastructure at the old Cliff training ground necessarily wasn't the best, but it was the soft touches. It was the same receptionist. It was the same dinner lady. It was the same kit man. It was the same coaches throughout that kind of led to that one club mentality. And I suppose where that leads me to the next question is, I mean, obviously we speak about the US, right? And it's this huge behemoth of a country. And obviously the talent development pool, I mean, it varies from state to state. And for focusing on California particularly, is that is where you are based. I mean, how do you envisage the Californian talent development pool evolving from where it is today? How do you visit California? Yeah. Uh, I think, as I, as I tell everyone, like California is, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but California, if it was an independent country out of the US, it would be the fifth economy in the world. Right, only behind USA, China, Japan, and Germany, I believe. Right, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's the richest, is the richest and the more one of the most diverse state in America. 40, 45 million people, so it's 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 like a country, right? So you gotta be able to understand, and, and that's what I tell everyone: we gotta take care of our backyard first. You know, of course, we don't have a. It's impossible, human impossible to. To, to watch and bringing out those players and talents that we have in the area, but we gotta know who they are. We gotta be able to provide those players. Uh, uh, first thing is that uh, the clubs in MLS are very connected to the community, and we are very good on that. You know, our club try to connect a lot of the community and also so the kids. We're gonna be we're gonna be hosting the World Cup 2026. You know, Santa Clara, who is. Levi's Stadium is going to be one of the, the, the host venues. California is going to be the club with more clubs in MLS beginning 2025 with four clubs. San, San Diego is coming up. You know, um, we are in Northern California, so we're going to be the only the only club up north in California. All the other clubs are South, South California, both LA teams plus San Diego. So be able to um, create a future here so the players can see ourselves as a club where they can develop themselves not only as a person but also as a player because you got to develop the character first you know there is no way to develop a good player if you don't if you don't develop a good character and that's very important for us and that's very important for me also you know and have those values you know we know not everyone's going to become a first team player it's impossible there is no space for everyone like there is nowhere, but if you develop a good person, they're going to have the opportunity to go to a good college, to either play somewhere else, but they're going to keep those roots with the club. And in the future, they can always be become a coach or, you know, or working in the club, the operational side, marketing side, whatever, academy side. And I think that's a value that the club has it. You know, two of the former, two of the former players inside the club, you no know, Chris Ondolowski, who is the, you know, who leads analyzing goals? He's to the, nowadays working for the club since his retirement, um, as a helping on the academy side, second team, first team, doing an IDP in development work on the players. We have Shea Salinas, who's been on the club, you know, who played for the club 13 plus years, who is also part of the of the club today, or you no know, after retirement. So doing all those things brings the community and also keeps a foundation of the club in place. Absolutely terrific. And I mean, obviously what rings through there, Bruno, is that you guys at the club and you yourself have a commitment to players in your backyard first and foremost. But as we've seen recently, I mean, territorial rules have changed within MLS academies and the plan is that they will envisage to do so again uh, prior to the 2026 World Cup. 
So, I mean, obviously, we're in the business of identification and scouting here now. I mean, have you guys plans to look further afield in California and perhaps even look to go fully residential in San Jose in the future to increase contact time with players? Yeah, we already we already have a residence in place, you know, with some four or five academy kids. Uh, we try to keep pretty local first. Like when I say local, there is kids who live two hours away from here, hour and a half. So it's also easy for those players to go back home on the weekend when there is no games. You know, adaptation wise and you know, family being closer to the family. And that's what I try to do. So what we provide those players an opportunity not to be driving three, four hours a day. The under 17s, they go to, they do online school. They train in the morning, you know, to follow the same schedule as the second team and also the first team. And the other age groups, 13, 14s and 15s, they train, they train at night. So there's a lot of advanced clubs, like the, the club has put a, a very good commitment on the development side. And I think that's part of our foundation. And also, you know, our sporting director, Chris, has been on the club for a long time also. He was an academy director in the past, you know, uh, working also on the youth side. Myself, I have a youth, you know, I have also youth youth development, you know, side of my veins. John Wallenack, who is our technical director, he's, he played for the New York, he worked for the New York Red Bull organization, also on the youth side, you know, Alex Covello, our head of methodology, worked for Espanol on the youth side. So there is a lot. Luigi Gonzalez, who is our first team coach, was academy director for FC Dallas. So there is a lot of people with knowledge and experience on the youth development side, and that that's kind of helped us the club on this on this part. It's amazing when you have so many different profiles of people, Bruno, under the one roof. It's not even like the formal sit-downs and conversations. It's the informal conversations, the cups of coffee the little talks outside on the training ground that must just, they, often more than not, they give the best ideas. Yeah, there is a lot of good argument between ourselves, right? That's what I tell everyone. It's like, uh, I I see the game different from from one, the other one, and that's that's the beauty, right? I'm from Brazil, Alex is from Spain. You know, Luchi has a background in my South Miami. You know, he was born in Miami, but uh, Luchi has, his, his father is from Peru. So he was born in a very Latino community. Then you have Chris and then John who played the league, you know, very, you know, John from New Jersey, Chris from Ohio, you know, Chris, those guys who played the league for a long time. With So when you bring all those knowledge, all those different ideas together, that's, you know, that's only benefit. Then we have Steve Ralston, you know, who, who plays in the league, you know, Ian Russell, Luciano Fusco is from Argentina, one of the assistant coaches from the first team. There is, and I think this mix of cultures, you know, kinds, you know, football cultures helps you to, to bring different perception to the table. And, and, I, and I think we always learning, right? It's, it's a learning, every day we're learning different lessons. And obviously, I mean, a huge part then in the talent development and identification piece, you know, is the interpretation and the synthesization of data. And there's no better place to be situated than that, Bruno, in Silicon Valley. You touched upon it earlier on, but um, how does San Jose Earthquakes best use data to proliferate players on the 3D Academy? A lot. Now, for the Academy side, it's uh, of course, it's a little bit harder, you know, to have the data numbers on the players and everything. But what we do, it's, of course, uh, we have GPS data on those players. And when you go to MLS Next Pro, that's the game, that's the level before making the jump to the first team. We have also the data analysis on everything, the pretty much the same analysis we have on the first team we have for the second team. Um, the same, you know, the same work we do analyzing players individually on recruitment side on the first team. We do it, but that goes a lot of the profile on the players, you know what kind of fullback you want to develop, what kind of center backs, what kind of number six, what kind of wingers, what kind of number nines, what kind of goalkeepers, all those things we, we kind of have an idea and bring together. Of course, respecting the profiles we have in the area. Um, and it's fine about finding the mix. What kind of few 22 players you're going to bring? Why, why, why am I going to send this player if I have these three guys coming in the pipeline on the second team, right? On the youth national team players. So I don't need to sign this player. 
because I have this one coming up. And so myself, like yesterday, I watched three college soccer games. You know, 1 p.m., 4 p.m., and 7 p.m. So I watched six teams yesterday. I tracked some of our homegrown players who were in college. I tracked other potential players who can play on the second team. Uh, last week, and I was watching a U13, U14, U15 play. It's kind of crazy, and people ask me, freaking Bruno, what a, how to do this and everything. And I just think it's important for me. I like to know what I'm stepping on, and I like to know, and I like to be able to sit and discuss with my coach from every age group, even to to my scouts or to people that I'm working with, being able to put an idea together. And when I talk about a player, and sometimes when I come with a different perception to the conversations, that's kind of, kind of helping up the coach to make a you know a better decision also. An interesting one, isn't it, though, approaching those conversations with all the subjective knowledge that you've gained over the years. And obviously, I mean, you must trust your instinct to a high level too. A, a lot. And... Uh, we're not gonna get it wrong. We're not gonna get it right every time. Of course, it's impossible. But uh, there is concepts and there is experience situations that uh, taught me, and I have I have gone right on a high percentage of the times on the last twenty five years. So I believe on in my instincts. Of course, nowadays I learn a lot how to use the data side to also help the data to understand why they cannot see what I'm seeing. And sometimes they can also help me out to see things that subjectively, or if I go more in depth, I'm not seeing on the players, right? So it's 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 a both way lines. We're helping each other. And that's what I said. You know, a lot of people they're very they're very straight. They don't want to open up their mind. They don't want to learn. And I'm the opposite. I want to learn a lot. But I also, I don't want to, and I'm not going to lose my instincts because players are not machines. Players are human beings who has families, who has feelings, who plays in different systems, who has, who are, you know, who can, who can get injury, who cannot adapt to the future, to the locker room. I mean, there is, a lot of things I have learned in my life that will bring all those informations together. Also, when we make the final decision, you no, know, and we can, you know, and we've been getting, of course, right, because mostly being a club where we're going to be very smart with first signings, we're not going to be a club that, uh, uh, I'm not going to say names here, but some clubs are just going to spend 10, 15, 20 million dollars out of the, out of the blue, you know. And so it's it's you gotta be smartly to be able to identify those seven, eight, nine million dollars players for two million, for one point five, or even for less, or a lot of an option to buy. Understand, you know, and be able to navigate in the market, you know, to to find the best opportunity. And that's how I see myself helping the club a lot. It's to use my knowledge, use my network, and use all my experience you know, in the business to, to bring the best information so our sporting director, our technical staff, they can make a longer, you know, so a longer self, but also bring them the right information so they can feel comfortable alongside our data team to make the best decision. I think that's absolutely fantastic because from the sounds of things and what rings through this conversation is that you don't like making decisions in silos you like to increase everybody's involvement within the broader decision making so everyone feels a part of it. Well, that's what it is for the good and for the bad. That's what I say. When you lose, everyone loses, and when you win, everyone wins, right? It's not a, it's not a one person win, it's not a one person lose. Of course, there is people in an organogram who who have, of course, kind of a, more of a final decision maker role, but we we try to bring everyone together, you know, and that's that's how our, our club is running on this side. So everybody can have an saying, of course, a smart saying and a, a very respectful saying. So the people who are gonna make the final decision, they have as much information as I told you before as they can to make the most comfortable decision. Because when you have a, all those kind of information, you know, you're going to minimize the chance of error. 
and that's what we try to do, right? As I said before, we did it for human beings, and then you know everything can happen. You know what? It's fair to say. I mean, we're coming to the close of this conversation, Bruno. But I find your journey and your story very inspirational. I'm certainly lit up speaking to you because I do feel that a 15 year old boy in you still, in terms of the hunger and the determination to succeed, and you know, I appreciate the time that you spend just educating people all over between the US and still in Brazil with respect to becoming professional in the game across a wide variety of functions. But I mean, you know, you've retained those early advantages, the hunger, the passion, the curiosity. I mean, as you speak about, you've studied six games over the last 48 hours alone. I mean, with one eye in the future, I mean, where is the future of scouting and talented identification going? There's a lot of people speaking about AI, you know, artificial intelligence, about you know the analytical, about machines, about everything. Of course, those things they are a plus, and they're gonna keep improving, improving, and improving, improving. We're gonna have more data, more numbers, more way to filter the players. But there is there is different there is different pathways. Be able to identify younger player or an older player, or identify someone who doesn't have the right environment. You know, why so many agents, they make so much money sometimes, and people are just, everybody want to get in the business, because the clubs, they do the hard work most of the time, developing, educating, and make those players ready to go. But most of the times, those clubs, they don't have the patience, they don't have the time to wait for those players to blossom. And what the guys in Asia most of the time they're going to do is take this player. You know, I'm talking about some, you know, because I know there is there is the Asians who own their own clubs. They spend money developing players also. There is other guys that just see the opportunity and they move the players to the right environment. Maybe they have this knowledge to make those players move to the right environment where they're going to blossom. Or being able to educate those players, you know, character-wise and also physical, tactical. They have kind of a surrounding on those players that's going to maximize their full potential and, and be able to find the right place. It's important. And most of the clubs, they should have. You know, in England, there is more. There is like, you know, there is loan departments. There is, you know, ownership groups that have other clubs where you can loan down those players and see. You know, a lot of people are talking about, uh, you know, okay, uh, Chelsea spending $150 million on Moises Caicedo, right? Moises Caicedo is a player who's been playing a high level in Ecuador since he was 17 years old. It's not a player that came out of the blue and suddenly he became a good player. We know Moises since he was a kid, right? But why Brighton, why is the club, and why another, and that's, I'm just throwing about Moises Caicedo, because it was a huge transfer, but we can talk this about a lot of players. Why a club, most of the time, they don't go there one year, two years before, they don't take $50 million, or take the $100 million they spend and buy seven guys, eight guys for eight, $12 million. That's that's that not even that you're gonna buy those players for four, five, six, seven million dollars, and then you see who's gonna pay out, right? So it's about a business plan. Some clubs they wanna go, they wanna wait how those guys gonna perform in a better league. And after one year, they are they're fighting to spend a hundred million dollars on those players. But why those clubs they have scout in South America? Why they have scout in Brazil? Why they have scouting in you know to cover South America? Why I'm sure those information came to those clubs. Why the decision makers for those clubs haven't gone there and made an offer to those players? So uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm not throwing this situation on one specific club, but I'm just going generally. Like, what is the business plan? What are you gonna do? You know, how are you gonna approach your youth side? How are you gonna approach your investment? You know, there is a lot of leadership, and it happens a lot. When you have a, a change of leadership, you're gonna have a change of approach, a change of ideas. And that's kind of hurts on one side, okay? But it helps on the other one. 
why there is so many opportunities in the market? Because when there is a change of leadership, there is a change of ideas, and who was good before doesn't become good anymore. And that's where good players, the gap on good players are. And that's where the club's got to be smart on those betweens to find the best opportunities. And that's what the agents does. And that's what smaller clubs do. That's what like middle level clubs do. And that's what the market asks you to do. Find the best market opportunity. Once again, you know, find the written talent, you know, who can be at any age and make those players succeed. Technically, physically, and tactically. Absolutely fascinating. I think there's plenty of there to kind of explore for round two, perhaps, Bruno. But, um, I mean, obviously, you split your career between Brazil and the US. I mean, there's been a lot of roles that obviously took in the US where the Brazilian in you has certainly helped you in the role in and of itself. And likewise, I mean, when you went back to Brazil after your sojourn in the States, I can see how the American traits and characteristics of go, go, go and passion and energy would have fueled your rise there to the top of Brazilian football. But, I mean, if we were to get hypothetical speaking here now, I mean, what's one thing you would take from Brazilian football and implement into the US? And what is one thing you'd take from US football that you'd implement into Brazil, Bruno? Two words. From Brazil, passion and love, love for the game and for the U.S. organization. And that's it. And, and when you bring those things together, and I was talking this, like a lot of my friends and former, you know, former friends in high school and college here, even Brazilians or Latinos, a lot of them stay here. Like I came in 95, so it's going to be 30 years now. And life... You know, life is so beautiful that uh, if I hadn't gone back to Brazil to have the experience that I had it, you know, I think if I was in Brazil, as you were perfect, if I was in Brazil and had grown, I don't know if I had succeeded in Brazil as I did. And if I hadn't lived U.S. and going back to Brazil, I don't know if I had the opportunity that I had it to come back to U.S. with, I, 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 you know, and, and when I left it, when I left college, my mom was crying. My mom was like, why I left a full ride? You know, I left a full scholarship to go back to Brazil to try to play. And my mom, what are you going to do? I said, mom, uh, I need to live new experience. That's what I want to do. But I'm going to promise I'm going to finish my education. Right? Those hurdles that I had to go through helped me to, as I said before, to build myself a lot. There is no right or wrong pathway, uh, uh, corner. That was my pathway. Right? Um, and that's how how life was thrown to me, and how I embrace it, and how I and how I see right. And, and and for me, it's pretty clear, and was part of my life plan to be where I am today. And I and I also have, of course, you always have a plan where you want to go and what what you want to be, you know. And I and and I tell everyone like, I start where everybody want to be one day, that was in the Brazil national team. You know, and being able to succeed at that, you start having to create new um, new challenges for yourself and and work for a bigger club in Brazil like I did. So what is my next challenge? Maybe, you know, um, you know, of course, being successful in San Jose, put the club in, on a potential, hopefully, you know, on a playoff run to win the MLS Cup. After maybe having experience working in Europe on a different environment, you know, or working for a group of investors and be able to run different clubs, will know a different methodology, you know, keep growing inside the league. So there is different and new challenge that at 43 years old, you still want to keep moving, keep grinding, you know, and, and even on my road today, I'm always trying to learn, to always try to get myself involved. And when you wake up, and you go to work and you don't feel this fire inside you, this passion, just just quit. Don't go do somewhere else, something else. So every time I work, you gotta feel this passion. Like uh, many people ask Bruno, uh, you could open up an agency, you know, working, doing whatever you wanna know. I don't want it. I like the daily base. I like the daily work. I like to help people improve. I like to be involved in a club routine. That's what I love today. That's what I like to do. 
So if I have the money, I'll, I'll buy a club for myself and I will not run the club, right? And but that's and be able to impact people's life, not only players, but like staff and everyone. It's something that I love to do. So maybe in the future I might change it on what I thought, but that's what uh what keeps my fire, you know, and my that's what keeps myself going on a, on a daily basis. Absolutely fascinating conversation. I can certainly echo all of that and much more, Bruno. But, um, I mean, there's going to be a lot of minds racing for the, our audience members listening back to this. I mean, it's one for budding coaches, scouts, analysts, academy directors, so on and so forth. But anyone that's particularly inspired by the path which you've trodden throughout your career to date, Bruno, and the path of which you're currently taking, what would be your bit of advice for them? As a, I think to be the first thing to be to become a good sporting director, a good technical director, chief scout, whatever you gotta. For me, that was my pathway. But I think it's fundamental to have a a foundation of youth development. You have to learn. You have to understand about the youth level, right? And I was very fortunate to be able to navigate in all different sides as a sporting director, technical director, chief scout, and academy director, right? And that helped me out. Everything helped me to 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 shape myself. And one thing I joke is that I never want to be as a coach. Never had the desire to become a coach, you know, and I like to be behind helping out and be like a support, supporting my staff, supporting my coaching and everyone. That's one thing I can tell 100%. You know, even though I studied the game, I had the coaching course and everything, just to learning, to keep learning and improving, but never, you know, and many people ask me this question. So um, I think you gotta find out what you're passionate about it. You start on the youth level. Don't look for money in the beginning. Look for a good mentor, a good internship. Look for someone that's gonna be able to teach you, to show you and give you, show how much you love this game. And then you're gonna, you're gonna be able to find your way up. Cause nowadays there is a lot of opportunity, but uh, be behind a computer is nice. It's beautiful, it's very nice. But in Brazil we have a coach. If you don't smell the grass, you're not going to be able to work with the game. So go outside, smell the grass, smell the green, and you know just go for it. Absolutely brilliant. Well, Bruno, I'm very much inspired and let up now to coach later tonight after listening to this conversation today about yourself. But um, once again, a big thank you for coming on the show. No, my pleasure, Connor. I'm going to leave my, you know, uh, whoever want to follow me on LinkedIn. Bruno Costa, head of scouting recruitment, players recruitment for the San Jose Earthquakes. It's easy, just go there. Know my my you know I always put information about the league, about the work you've been doing here. I think it's important. It's very, very good to share experience with everyone. Also my uh, my Instagram Bruno Costa eighty. So I also some you know, like to put information out. So feel free to do so to follow me there. Send me a message. I'm always here to help. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. You know, whoever comes to San Jose to the Bay Area, let me know. More than welcome and invited to come to, you know, to our club.